0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: Hello and welcome to this special edition of the Media Business Podcast, brought to you by Media Business Insight, and this week, ALF Insight. I'm Fraser Murdoch, Managing Director of ALF. At ALF, we are obsessed about finding ways of making sales easier for media companies, for advertising agencies and for marketing services businesses when they're targeting the biggest spenders in advertising and marketing in the UK. In this episode, we're going to speak to a startup and a breakaway agency. That's an agency that's broken away from a large network about how they win clients. Plus, we'll also be talking to ALF's head of content about a brand new report that covers the big spenders of the future. That's all to come. So I'm delighted to say that today we're going to hear from two very different business development models. Both are agencies, yet both come from a de- very different place. One is a startup, and one is a breakaway from one of the big networks. In each case, I'd like to examine the business development model. In other words, how each has set up a process or not for winning clients. Let's begin with the startup. So HMS 16 was founded in 2016 by Richard Hammond, who is the H, Steve Meredith, and Paul Seabrook. Richard represents the sales and client management bit of the triangle. So welcome, Richard Hammond.
1: Thank you very much.
2: So let me start by asking, what were the biggest challenges for HMS 16 at launch, Richard?
1: Yeah, It, it, it feels a um, long time ago now, but it's only two and a half years since we've been trading. And... Um, even to this moment, I remember the, the phone call we got from a Chinese automotive brand um, asking us to work with them on a secret project. And we didn't start HMS 16 out of vanity or ego. It was really to surround the client's business opportunity to build electric cars in in Europe. And uh, That story was um, a tough start because we built the business, three guys, a lot of automotive experience. In fact, Paul Seabrook had been at General Motors, Steve Meredith had worked on the SEAT business across Europe, and I'd worked on the Chrysler Jeep launch in Europe. So we were sort of steeped in the industry, and then the client decided not to launch electric vehicles in Europe. Um, So it was a tough start to the journey.
2: Wow, that's a shocker, Richard. So what happened next?
1: Yeah, I, I, you know what? It's um, in the in the two and a half years that have elapsed since those secret meetings in darkened hotel rooms in uh, the city um, with some interesting people. I think we we did when we realised that they were not going to be launching a vehicle, and uh, trust me, we pushed them hard to investigate couple of key markets like Norway to launch as a test market but we couldn't convince them so I think what we did was um it was a couple of moments where we go right do we keep going do we just pull the plug and go back to what we were all doing consulting running different businesses doing freelance work or do we do we make this work and I think at that point it was a moment of a deep decision for all three of us and I think we decided that it was we had credentials, we had a lot of good track record, we had good contacts. that We would attempt to muster clients from other, other territories and uh, we did that. We were lucky to find other people that wanted a independent view on their business and their creativity. And uh, we were lucky to, to move forward with you know, less ambitious growth plan I think we uh, achieved half of our revenue in year one as opposed to the full number Uh, but it was a good wake-up call and I think it we we did really hit the track hard in terms of trying to recover from that difficult start but it, it will certainly go in the book when I write one
2: that's quite a story so now let's go over to the breakaway agency good stuff which until 2017 was part of the mighty Omnicom Media Group when the two founders, Ben Hayes and Andrew Stevens, bought OMG's stake in the business. Notionally at least this is very different to the HMS 16 experience and I'm pleased to welcome one of those co-founders today Andrew Stevens who we've got on the telephone. Andrew of course as a founder of Good Stuff you've presumably been in a similar situation to Richard. Today though I'm interested in understanding the challenges of Good Stuff not as a startup which you once were but as a business that broke away from a network agency and all the strengths and of course the weaknesses that that brings. What were the biggest challenges for you on Breaking Away?
3: Um, I think there are probably two challenges within it. Really, I think the first was making the decision to want to break away in the, in the first place. Uh, we had a very good relationship with Omnicom; the business was doing very well. Um, and it's a very difficult decision to know at what point to kind of cut that cord, and at which point you know, to sort of go to go kind of solo, particularly in a world where. Uh, for media buying, you know, the needs of uh, the back end of an agency for the finance, the accreditation, um, and those sort of benefits of scale you get are kind of so important. But essentially, we had decided that year that that was a moment to do it. Um, We didn't want to look back five years from 2017, having not done that, there was an opportunity for a conversation with Omnicom. So we took that opportunity at the time. So I guess the first challenge was actually making the decision and then kind of seeing it through. I think once it had happened, I think the challenge was getting used to um, running a fully independent business because it had felt independent before that. But in reality, we had Omnicom as a backer, as a supporter and always there at the end of the phone should you need something. So I guess it was just getting used to that reality of of there not being someone at the end of a phone should there be a finance query or anything else? I guess it's just getting used to life on our own.
2: Thanks, Andrew. So, so Richard, in your case, it was you, you had a client and then you didn't have a client. And Andrew, in your case, the stabilizers were off. Um, so let's move now to business development itself. So first of all, um, Richard, what's your structure? Is it just you? Uh, it's not. Um,
1: we, we've been very lucky, actually. We've surrounded ourselves with people from different industries who've probably done they've done their 20 years of hard desk stuff and now consulting and we've sort of linked up with people in different sectors with an enormous amount of knowledge and contact so we work with them we have a guy in the retail sector we have a guy in the PR sector uh, we have two people in the automotive area that we Connect to we leverage their contacts and they've been extremely useful to guide us into entering those segments that we've had not direct experience in, particularly in retail.
2: So how does that actually work? Are they they're not employees, are they?
1: That's that's correct. They're not em, they're not employees. They're certainly consultants. Um, we work on a basis of day rates with them and work with them on the basis of success fees. So it's a a smart way to open up categories that we hadn't looked at
2: previously. Right. Andrew, how is business development structured at Good Stuff?
3: Uh, I mean, broadly speaking, um, of the two co-founders, so myself and Ben Hayes, my role essentially is an external role. So I look, I look after all external relationships uh, and within that any new issues. Uh, incremental revenue within the agency. Uh, Ben's role essentially is then to make sure that it stays within the agency. So that's broadly how we how we structure stuff. Um, so I will look after all new business and any new ventures that we might want to uh, enter into as well. And within that, I have a small team of two people um, who fall into what we currently call, although we're, we are about to change this, um, a marketing and new business team.
2: So you're about to change it. May I ask? Uh, yes, um, because we're going to take away
3: the name new business. Um, because in reality, we don't we don't do what I think is probably deemed as classic new business. Um, and all of our efforts, which ultimately result in new business, are marketing driven and they're very much brand driven. Um, and we do that for a number of reasons. Really, one is that. I think we have a slight luxury um, in the media industry in that there are very few strong differentiated brands in the media sector. There are lots of networks. There are lots of agencies that begin with M uh, and there are lots of agencies with, a, with a, an array of pastel shades for their um, color palette. But in terms of really distinctive brands in media, I don't think there are very many. And with the background that we've got, so we started our life in creative agencies at Saatchi's, we've worked on some amazing brands. We fundamentally believe in the role that a brand can play for our clients. And therefore, I think we should believe what the role of brand can do in media. So everything we do is brand driven. We do events. um, We launch things like Start Stuff, which was a million pounds initiative to find the next generation of agency owners. Um, And we work very closely with creative agencies and with other partner agencies to do brand-led stuff, which ultimately ends in referrals and new business. So we don't, for example, do mailing campaigns. We don't employ anyone externally to do new business. Um, And everything sort of goes through me and goes through a brand lens so that we as as a business in media look and feel a little bit different to some of the big networks
2: you talked about events there could you give us an example of that and just try and paint a picture of it
3: yeah um so we have uh, an event actually in about just under or sorry just over two weeks now called the good stuff media showcase that is now in its fourth year uh, which is at the curzon theater in soho and that event was created to better connect creative agencies so in the audience with 250 um ecds owners heads of strategy from agencies from amv adam and eve through to Widen's and mother um, and on stage we will put eight meter owners who have specifically created a new opportunity to work with creative agencies directly so the idea of getting content and context to work together which the big event we do campaign come and host it um that for us is amazing new business in a very indirect way, because we're working with 50 different creative agencies talking about the power of brands and media creativity. So I guess that's a good example of of us doing new business, but something that doesn't feel like it's new business.
2: So Richard, would you entertain having your competitors in the room where you were promoting your agency, If, if I've got that right, Andrew? And there's not only
3: competitors, it's more a case of I think that um, some of the learnings we had a few years ago was that a number of creative agencies had some frustrations with their media agency partners that they didn't have the access to media owners to talk about the development of an idea. Media owners similarly had frustrations that they were being stopped from talking to the creative agencies by the media agency. So Showcase really was there to kind of break down that barrier and directly introduce the media owners to the creative agencies. So there's no competition in there for us at all. They're all agency partners of ours, and obviously the media owner partners. We are just hosting and curating the night.
1: I would say very smart from a media buying perspective and media planning partner. I think from a creative agency point of view, it's quite difficult to work with other agencies in the same room. So we would... um, go the opposite direction, which would be to... We we run workshops for clients. Um, we create an environment where they can talk about their issues and challenges ahead, and it, it it changes the dynamic from the briefing process to the creative delivery to the execution and then the media buy. What it allows them to do is to talk about their wider business issues, and it's a great way to get some inti- intimacy with the client and understand what their real issues are, what's the threats out there, what are the opportunities and what are the barriers to overcome that. We call that our Discovery Day, keeping on the nautical theme as HMS 16. But it's it's a fun day. Um, but I do like the good stuff, you know, kind of agnostic approach to getting the creatives in the same room. That's very smart. Um, but we would um, definitely look to help clients... Uh, across the piece in a way we look at them as you know as a business not just as a creative opportunity it's about adding value to their business whether it's raising money helping them you know pitch the investors if it's launching a new product if it's about getting a creative message a usp to the market or working you know with a media partner to deliver events media buys etc so it's much more of a strategic, holistic business proposition that we focus on and then use that to ultimately do our day job, if you like, which is making great TV ads.
2: Let's have a, let's have a dig now into leads. So, so, so Andrew, over to you. you. Given that you don't do that traditional mailing stuff, where do you get your leads from? Uh, it all
3: pretty much comes from referrals. So whether those referrals are from um, existing clients. So we, um, we are part of uh, the referral rating company's uh, client survey uh, where we know the degree to which clients would recommend us to uh, other clients. And we know that score is very high on that. So we get a lot of referrals from existing clients. We get a lot of referrals, um, probably more so in truth, from creative agency partners. Um, through intermediaries, so from the AARs, um, auditors, like Ubiquiti. So we probably have four or five different um, incoming streams of referrals. And then there's just a kind of picking up the phone to you know, new companies or to clients or people we know that have gone to a new company. But I would say currently that's a very small part of what we do. Most of it is fielding um, inbound opportunities.
2: Is some of that a, a legacy of being part of a network, do you think? I think,
3: uh, and, I'm, and I don't know what the approach of Seven Stars is, but I'm going to suggest it's not dissimilar to ours, which is that we will both be benefiting from seismic change in the media industry in that you've, you've had the networks dominating for you know, ever and a day, really, Over the last five years or so, I think the networks of problems have been very well documented and independents are growing significantly. And therefore, when a client comes to review their business, it's much more likely these days that the clients will want an independent agency or two on that list. And as the two biggest independent media agencies, Seven Stars and, and we, I think, get our fair share, if not Um, the proportionate share of those opportunities. So I think a lot of it is down to just market change
1: and, frankly, being in the right place at the right time.
2: So, Richard, is it different for you? I
1: think so, yeah. Mm. I'm sitting here rather enviously of um, Andrew's proposition at the moment, but um, I think our sector is incredibly crowded. I mean, you know, we're bumping into people doing creativity. You know, there might be a PR agency, an event company, uh, a media owner presenting creative ideas to clients. It is a real battlefield. So I think we structure our lead process very differently. We we, we work really hard at it. Uh, we attend key trade shows. Um, we put PR pieces out into the media and those relevant trade titles that support those events. Uh, we attend those events, whether it be UK, Europe or global. Uh, it's a lot of, of trips out to these key events like Basel World, which is in Switzerland, which is the celebration of the watch industry. We're always at that one. And I think, you know, we, we build our own databases by picking up those contacts and, and then nurturing them. I'm a great believer that you have to go for the long haul when it's a cold lead and move that to a conversation, move that to a meeting, and potentially move that to an opportunity. So we drill through the data and we work hard at making those leads come to life and converting them to, to prospects because we don't have people just walking in the door asking for an independent view on their creative because it's a very, very competitive sector uh, indeed.
2: So is, there, is, is all that passing to you? So you've got your guys, you know, those, those externals. Are they then passing those leads to you and you pick them up and follow them through?
1: To me individually, or to you individually. You no, know, what we, we split them up so across the, the, the three th- of you. The three partners take on you know a third each of those leads that come in that are more relevant. If it's more of a creative challenge, it goes to Steve. If it's more data led, it goes to Paul. If it's a more general inquiry, then I tend to pick it up um, and, and you know follow that through to a meeting or a presentation, mm-hmm. ideally. Uh, but it's um, it's a tough one, um, and you 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 have to be prepared to dig deep and you know keep in contact because you know business doesn't review every day it reviews yearly or you know uh, it, it's a long cycle for sure.
2: So when you see a lead Richard what what are the what are the characteristics of a lead that say to you I've got a really good chance here? Yeah
1: that's a, that's a great question I think for us it's about the you know the the character of the company we're dealing with. We work much better with owner-operators, people that own their own businesses, people that don't want to work with a big global network where they're going to be not having any personal attention. I think it's about the brands uh, that want to grow something that's a legacy brand, something that's perhaps been through challenges and looking for a new direction, but owned by a family or a Uh, Perhaps a family office, for example. So those are the kind of clients that we really drill down on and and make sure that we see that through to a conclusion. Uh, And we're most successful with those kind of businesses. If you look at our client base, it is US and mainland European focused. Uh, We have UK clients as well, but a lot of our business comes out of the US and they're typically entrepreneurial family businesses.
2: And presumably often not work with an agency before.
1: Uh, they work with a US agency have, or, a, okay. or a European agency, but you know they see the UK as a big market. They want to be in the in the U in the UK, and um, we we fit that bill very well.
2: Sure. So, An- Andrew, a good lead for you. What 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 are the characteristics there?
3: Um, I guess it depends really, um, and I'm and I'm going to use a construct which I know is age old, and I know um, a lot of people don't really like this, uh, but it works for us, which is the classic fun, fame, and fortune. Um, and we have a 19-point check uh, for all the clients that we, um, that we come across as to whether we want to continue the conversation. Um, you know, From a Fortune perspective, that will be a range of questions around the size of the clients. We particularly like clients that scale. So most of our clients are either e-commerce and or, and or challenger brands. Uh, We don't have many clients who spend the same every year and grow or decline by one or two percent. So a business that can scale with us as a partner will score kind of higher marks, if you like, than a client that won't. Um, The scope of work. So if the client does their own digital in-house, that will score less than if we would do the digital for them. Uh, What the process is, whether we know them, the ability to produce amazing work. And frankly, whether it's something that the agency want to work on. So we ask the leadership team for everything that comes in, would you want to work on this client? Um, And we're not saying that the answer to that is the definitive answer, but it's a really good guide as to how the agency would react when we announce that we are pitching for client X. So we put all those things kind of in the mixer, really. And at different times of the year, I guess fortune is more important than the others, and if we're having a good time, then we'll probably put a bit more emphasis on fun and fame.
2: So, so, Andrew, in terms of business development, when you broke away, one thing that didn't work and one thing that did?
3: So I think the thing that didn't work uh, was um, I think it, we chased far too many opportunities, far too many leads, far too many um chats and opportunities and I think we were too easily flattered, if I'm honest. I don't think we were disciplined, professional, and choosy enough about the conversations, the meetings, the partners that we did in the first couple of years, and we had an awful lot of what seemed like really interesting conversations that actually had we asked better questions right at the outset and probably been a bit stronger. I think would have wasted um, a lot less time than we than we did in the end. So I think that's definitely a thing that I would have that I would if I did it again I would learn. Um, and that went wrong. I guess the thing that went right um, was the fact that Virgin was our founding client, and it was just a great opportunity to open doors to any other challenger brand that wanted to know the kind of thing we were doing and why Virgin helped us leave Omnicom. So I guess that was. wouldn't say that's what we did right it was again fortunate that it was Virgin that started us but I guess that that would be the thing that went wrong and probably the thing that went right
2: yeah thanks for sharing that Andrew fantastic um so Richard what about you
1: that's a really hard question
2: um (laughs) well you had a client and then lost a client
1: (laughs) yeah I think I think being believing that something was going to happen and and you you know I been working in the business for a few years and i think when you have those intimate conversations about getting round one clients and launching it's very easily to not focus on anything else so i think that was probably the mistake we made we just wanted to you know a bit like you know with andrew with virgin you sort of you pour a huge amount of effort into something and then three months later it's still sitting in a document unopened in somewhere in china um That was tough. Um, I think the thing we did right was we worked with partners. We we opened up our channels to interesting other businesses. So there was a lot of collaboration in the early days, uh, and that really helped. And there is one other thing we did, which was we opened up the black book, which is always useful. Um, But the black book does run out. (laughs) So I think it's you know it's those are the three things that I can share with the with the audience because i think it's it's easy to get beguiled and flattered when people come talk to you but you need to do both you need to talk to them and make sure you've got other conversations going on
2: andrew stevens good stuff richard hammond hms 16 thank you so much for your insights today
0: you really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and
3: everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to
2: Monday.com. Okay, now we're going to take a brief look at a new development from ALF. So if you don't know it already, ALF is a service that provides a database of people, brands and spend, that help media businesses, advertising agencies and marketing services companies to build their client base. And these are the biggest spenders in the UK that, that, that ALF lists. I have with me today Adeline Bonnet. She's um, head of ALF's content. Welcome, Adeline.
0: Thanks, Fraser.
2: Adeline, very soon we'll be launching a new element to the service which is called ALF Accelerators. Um, First of all, Adeline, what is ALF Accelerators?
0: So, uh, ALF Accelerators is another way for us at ALF Insights to help our clients generate additional revenue for their organisations by providing them with a set of prospects not currently available in ALF. So
2: surely, Adeline, every company, big company, is already in ALF?
0: Not necessarily. And that's what makes that report very interesting and exciting, I think. Um, Because these companies are not in ALF. Why? Because although they have the financial means to do so, they haven't yet spent enough to make it into the top 6,000 UK advertisers. But they have the propensity to do so in future.
2: Absolutely understand that. So how have we set about actually compiling the data?
0: Well, we've sourced 108 UK B2C companies.
2: Okay, and we sourced them from?
0: From a few lists which were published in 2018. So the first one uh, is the Sunday Times Fast Track 100. The second one is the Sunday Times Tech Track 100. And the third one is the FT's Europe fastest growing companies list.
2: Okay, so that's roughly 300 ish companies, that's which right. you've then winnowed down to just over 100. So, how have we done that?
0: Well, uh, the way in which we've selected those companies, uh, we looked at three different criteria. The first one was company turnover. So, for 17, uh, it had to be at least 5 million pounds. Then we looked at the number of employees, which had to be 10 minimum in 2017. But mainly, the company we've um, included in our report um, witnessed a revenue growth of at least 45% over three years, which was from 2014 to 2017.
2: Okay, so they're all fast-growing businesses. They are, indeed. And what people are we trying to find in those organisations?
0: So we've decided to provide C-suite contacts, so people such as founders, owners, chief executive or managing director. Um, This was because these businesses being relatively young, these uh, C-suite people will be hands-on. Um, then obviously marketing contact so key marketing contacts such as chief marketing officers marketing directors or equivalent because these are key decision makers obviously for marketing advertising then insight is quite important because this is a growing area which is linked to, again, marketing and advertising. So we're going to provide inside directors, head of insights. And finally, we decided to uh, list uh, tech people, such as the CTOs, technology director, digital directors, Again, because these people are increasingly involved in the marketing strategy of businesses and are key in developing the business digital capabilities as well. So if you are the kind of businesses who are interested in reaching such contacts, you should find our report very valuable.
2: So what makes this different to the core ALF service?
0: What uh, makes it, I believe, very interested for those of you listening to us today is that these companies haven't been selected based on advertising spend, which is the criteria we use for ALF. But because they've been the fastest growing companies in the UK over the past few years, as mentioned earlier, which means they do not feature in ALF. Although the fact that they are not being listed in ALF means that they haven't been spending huge amounts on advertising, but have the capabilities to do so, hence represent good opportunities for our clients.
2: So these are the spenders of the future?
0: Exactly. We believe these companies should be on our clients' hot prospects list because they are, as you say, the companies of the future and that our clients can in turn help these companies promote themselves and grow in future.
2: Fantastic. So when's it ready?
0: Hopefully by the end of May.
2: Excellent. Looking forward to it, Adeline. Thank you so much.
0: No problem. Thanks, Fraser.
2: That's it for this edition of the Media Business Podcast. Thanks to my guests this week, Adeline Bonnet, Richard Hammond and Andrew Stevens. Remember, you can find out more about ALF Insight at our website, alfinsight.com. To hear more episodes in this series, subscribe to the Media Business Podcast in your podcast app of choice. Ollie Mann will be back with an episode of The Regular Show in two weeks' time. I've been Fraser Murdoch. See you again next time. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.
0: Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes.
3: Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns